listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. show lined up and we're actually going to start off more with a little bit of a discussion and that is because i was um i was reading this article that i linked in our discord which was talking about cyberpunk 2077 and the article that is in the official xbox magazine about it where they are talking to um the uh the, the folks who are making the game who are saying that they don't intend to shy away from politics and that's something that the original creator had said there were comments made we talked about it a few weeks ago uh maybe a little bit longer and so here we have now the developers saying you know we're not shying away from politics that's part of the franchise kind of thing my question to you guys is this we are at a time now where sci-fi creators are having to decide just how close to our existing reality they use as a base when moving forward to project what the world will look like then and because of everything that's happening right now in particular not just but mm, a lot of it in the states right now that can have a huge impact for creators looking forward because of the scope of influence that the U.S. has historically had. So when you are then extrapolating stories looking forward, you can either side with hopefulness, which is what most people would like, or you can... I don't want to say reality because, again, that squashes hopefulness, but you know what I mean. And we see some of that, like in the latest Far Cry and things like that. However, because of how rapidly um, things are going bad in the States, at least for me as an outsider... And this is where your insight's going to be helpful for me, actually. I was at a point early on where it was interesting to see those similarities in games. And I've always said, too, that you need some such similarities in games in order to make us feel like we are not just invested, but we feel we belong in that world. We can relate to it. It makes sense. However, due to the escalation of, again, just how bad things have gotten. Like, I imagined a lot of horrific things. I never imagined babies in cages. And it's one of those where, at least for me, and I don't know if that's the majority of people, you know, we've always looked to entertainment as our escape from reality. And in horrific times, people watch and then there's a lot more production of, of funny movies and things like that. And 
because of how rapidly things have gone bad, the, at least for myself, and I know I've read a lot of other people say similar things online, where you really don't want it. And it's not because of, of, of party lines or choices so much as it's like muting just the term Trump in Twitter, just so you can have a moment's peace kind of thing. With cyberpunk, it's a little bit different because while certain elements will hit close to home, depending on what those elements are, based on the fact that you are 50, 70, 100 years down the line kind of thing, it's more of a hint. It's more of the history of the world leading forward and the influence it's had. So here's my question to you guys. We'll start with you, Marty, because you clearly made it. <laughs> you made it clear you had words to say about this thing already. Do you like that? Do you want more politics, regardless of which side it takes, in such games moving in such sci-fi games? Or would you, in, which is kind of what they're gonna saying they're gonna be doing? Or have you reached that point where you just want? generic sci-fi that doesn't hit so close to home a generic sci-fi that doesn't hit so close to home i don't think would be any good sci-fi has always had that component of exploring something uh, joel halderman's the forever war was literally a book about vietnam but set in space and i said sci-fi I, I should have said sci-fi and cyberpunk i apologize oh that's fine um like sci-fi in particular william gibson has said uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Gibson stopped writing about the cyberpunk dystopian future, not just because he was probably a little bit tired of it, but also because it's already here. I mean, pattern recognition, when it was written, what, 2007? Most of that stuff already existed, and it's just accelerating. What I think with cyberpunk, especially the cyberpunk 2020 setting, which is where this all comes from, uh, it is inherently political. As for the whole both sides issue, uh, because I'm not going to bother finding a less incendiary term, I don't want some mega chud idea of what politics is supposed to be because their basic idea of, of politics is white supremacy and bullshit. And Let I me got, rephrase that, that because that was never, a, I would never even imply that. When I was saying I both sides, as I'd explained, it was either in terms of, to be blunt about it, either... yeah. America goes to hell and becomes a dictatorship and the reper repercussions of that on the world stage or America, the hopeful, writes itself, democracy prevails and whatnot. That's what I meant. Never anything in terms of white okay. supremacist kind of thing. But um, you said that you never pictured babies in cages. The youngest person that could be held in the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center is 10 years old. Um, and we're on the top end of the system when it comes to that type of stuff. So we already mm -hmm. hold babies in cages. And also, most years. other countries do. Like, that's the other thing that's terrifying. So we need, I think, to be able to look this in the face, but maybe one level away from it. So you abstract it, pull it away, and reconfigure it and play with it till you understand, like, what this actually means. Because as terrifying as America as an authoritarian dictatorship could be, the way we're headed towards a corporatist oligarchy with a titular figurehead, like another Trump or I'm going to say it, maybe another Clinton. What does it matter at that point? Um, 
Not saying that Clinton is the same as Trump, by far, not the same, but the same powers of money and wealth uh, redistribution and you know trickle-down bullshit exists. That's one thing they have in common. And cyberpunk has always been about critiquing the failure of the state and uh, pointing fingers at the corporatist giants, be they arms dealers, private security firms, or, you know, media conglomerates saying that this is not what we are supposed to be like. This leads to things like Night City. And this is um, a failure for us as a, and by us, I mean, you know, people from the U.S., that's a failure of our willingness to participate or ability to participate, as the case may be. Um, so I want this. I need this. And like when I need to take a break, I'll take a break. But I think that a game like Cyberpunk 2077, which isn't really that far away in the scheme of things. I mean, I'll be dead, but it's not that far away. Uh, I think it's an important tone to take because anything other than a, a true representation of what this uh, game does does a disservice to the entire genre that is cyberpunk and you know what dystopian is supposed to hopefully do for a populace Vince what about you it, it's obviously like very complicated but it, it's it's you know rooted in you know what is cyberpunk to begin with like right there in the name of the genre you have punk which you know and encapsulates you know pushing back against authority and what makes cyberpunk specifically so so such a draw for people is that even though the the imbalances we see in these these uh dystopian futures are greater than they exist now we can see that path so it it holds definitely some more some more weight to it but then what makes it such an interesting setting to play around in as as a character uh, you know for, for fictionally is that it's set up in a way that there there can be equalizers like if you're if you're a good enough hacker or you know if you're great at you know, driving cars or any of the stuff that you know a typical cyberpunk character can can be good at you have that ability to overcome that widening gap. So in a lot of ways, it, it's hopeful in that, yeah, there's a strong possibility that things can get worse, but at the same time, we as individuals can still do something about it. And I, I feel that's absolutely essential storytelling that we need at, at any time, not just this time, despite the fact that this time is also a pretty, uh, pretty important for it. Joe, what about you? I'll try to keep it relatively brief. I agree with a lot of things that Marty said. Mark it on the calendar. Um, Fuck yeah! <laughs> art in general is inherently political. It doesn't matter whether it is a book, whether it is a story, a song, a movie, uh, something that's drawn or painted or sculpted or created. The simple act of creation in any capacity of something of that nature is inherently political because it is rooted in your day-to-day -day life. That is where you draw the inspiration from. And a lot of artists draw from pain or from personal experiences 
And some of that is hope. Some of that is despair. There's a lot there. Video games are art. I will not broker an argument with anybody about this. And if you feel the need to, I will stop talking. Not you guys here, but generally. Video games will always have sort of that political nature to them. And if somebody says, well, you know, my World of Warcraft doesn't, the fuck it doesn't. There is still tones and shades of that. We've talked about that. Um, and you don't have to look at, like, the Wolfenstein games for any of that either. It, it exists everywhere where there is a political body that your character interacts with or, or a populace or a people or a country or a city or any, anything of that nature. There's politics at play. Cyberpunk itself is a genre that is it's defined as a futuristic setting that tends to focus on the combination of low life and high, and high tech. It's super advances in technological and scientific achievements like artificial intelligence and cybernetics, uh, Blade Runner, any of the aliens movies, things like that, juxtaposed with the radical social breakdown of order. This is not a new concept. This is not something that, you know, is just, oh, it's 2018 and everybody politicizes everything. No, th this started in the 50s and 60s when new wave science fiction really started playing around with these ideas and started seeing these patterns and started seeing the, these corporate oligarchies sort of coming in and taking over. And there's a reason it's stuck around. A game like this is important for several reasons, at least to me. You can choose to disconnect from it at your will, but it still has a chance to show you things in a way that maybe somebody wouldn't digest a Twitter feed or a news report or reading about some sensational emotional account from somebody else. This allows you to experience this type of world for yourself before we get there. And I think that's important because that's something that I don't want to say we've lost as a people, but we have a hard time empathizing. We have a hard time looking to the future and seeing something that's rooted in that, I think is important. Um, it's also important for me because as a person whose last name often winds up in crosshairs, sometimes literally, that social order breakdown is scary as fuck because all it takes is one Yahoo who doesn't subscribe to the social contract anymore to ruin my entire life. Genres like cyberpunk and by extension, cyberpunk 2020 and now cyberpunk 2077 with night city shows people that, and it shows them in a way that they might not even realize that that's what they're seeing at first, but it'll, it'll stick with people potentially. So games like this are important to me. They need to exist. They appeal to a, a wide audience uh, based off of just the colors and the action and the music and the lights. And when there's a, a beautifully crafted story underneath that allows you to see what the world could be, you can then maybe start to take actions in your current day. Art is a reflection of reality. This is no different. One of the reasons I asked, and and it's somewhat self-serving, but we'd already made our plans, but it's, it's good to hear that we're on the right track, 
is, as I mentioned on, on Twitter some time ago, my, my son and I have been working on a story. We're writing a novel, and we're, we're pretty deep in. Everything has been mapped out, the entirety of the story, which is fairly huge, and, and we're about four chapters in uh, writing-wise. What's interesting is that it's, it is a cyberpunk story, but 100 years in the future. So we had to make a conscious choice of where we're taking our version, where we foresee the United States going, and then kind of play around with it, of course, and fictionalize it, maybe make it worse, maybe a little bit better, but we, we had to make a conscious decision. But I'm hoping that, and this is not self-serving in any way when I say this part, I'm hoping that stories like what we're doing and from outsiders make their way into the U.S. and become something that is mainstream enough that that Americans see it because I think that those kind of stories in particular, and by that I mean a vision of the impact that these actions will have far into the future, but not from the inside looking out. So not from the perspective of a, uh, a city in the States, a setting in the States, a, all the characters from the States and everything uh, contained within, but a setting outside of America where you see the perceived impact of what inaction would have been or the wrong actions or siding with the wrong people or anything like that. And I think that it might give uh, American readers a different perspective that they're not used to because again, a lot of countries, most countries have a lot of national pride, but we can all agree America really sinks its teeth into that. Maybe not as much now, but a lot. And it's reflective in most of the media as well. And as a Canadian especially, we really have a, a unique vision of what that is because we get to also see the majority of your media immediately because, again, it streams here. Everything works its way up. But we also have a lot of media from other countries, not the least of which being our own as well. And I think that gives us a lot different perspective of, again, seeing things from the outside looking in versus just always inside looking in, rarely out as well. So, I, I, again, it's good to hear a lot of the comments that you said, all three of you, because they kind of aligned with a lot of what we're doing. And I'm hoping that the things that you didn't, which, again, things that I've alluded to just now, will be something that maybe make people see things a little differently from a possible future, just talking about the impact that this had, not so much just seeing it firsthand kind of thing. So with that, we are going to move away from this now and just have a little bit more fun. We can talk about some Titans and Heroes. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah, so we've talked about this before. Uh, anybody who's listened to the show for any length of time knows that I was really, really, really city of heroes um and when it closed down it was a sad day for me but 
it lives on. It lives on in spirit. And two of those projects actually got some new news updates recently. Uh, first up is Shippy Heroes, which introduces one of their main heroes, question mark? Uh, and the reason I say that is because they're they're starting to uh, flesh out the backstories of the ship's actual protectors. Uh, and in this case, they gave us the profile of a hero named Meltdown, who is a half-human, uh, half-vi um, entrepreneur, which is, you know, sort of the ubiquitous Batman millionaire superhero thing. And while he is a superhero, uh, he's one of those characters that would rather build things to improve lives and make people safer than actually get into the fight if he has any sort of choice in the matter. Uh, it's it's actually kind of a cool little quirk that, you know, he, he is a hero, but he doesn't really want to be. And that's nifty because it shows that they're, they're thinking about the depth of their characters. Because back in City of Heroes, that was one of the things I really, really enjoyed is that each of the heroes, while they fell into an archetype, had unique stories or had, you know, a personality when you did their quests. And it seems like we're going to get very much that same thing here. Um, I also find it really interesting that the Vi uh, from the planet Arshk, I, I can't pronounce any of these things. There's no there's no pronunciation guide. Um, they are really skeptical and hostile towards commerce. They're suspicious. <laughs> They're suspicious of business as a whole. And despite being a half human, half vi, he is a millionaire. So I, I just think that's an interesting concept for a race. They just they just don't like money. I guess. But it's cool. I was gonna say I don't trust most businessmen. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, but Ship of Heroes is in the middle of its alpha program. Uh, it is preparing a login test in early August. Uh, and the beta is on track for the end of this year. Uh, and you can go to their website and, you know, sign up or, or do anything to try to get in. Uh, you can bet your ass I already have and I'm waiting. Here's hoping. Now, besides Ship of Heroes, the other potential uh, spiritual successor, I guess we would say, is City of Titans. Um, which, City of Heroes, City of Titans, maybe a little similarity there. But they showed out showed off their latest sort of art development assets uh, with asymmetrical outfits, non-human heads, tattoos, uh, all sorts of cool little things to kind of show off exactly what you can do with character creation, uh, as well as one of the alien races or enemy races, which is like a fish person thing. But it was really cool because they're showing that they're actually paying attention and caring about like the details and the customization of the characters. Cause city of heroes, that was one of the things that was super important, at least for like me was that you unlocked and earned costumes by doing things, completing quests and doing tasks. And you could spend literally all day creating the perfect costume color combination and it had one of the greatest character sort of creation engines I've ever seen. Uh, and if City of Titans keeps up on the path that it's looking right now, uh, they may be doing damn good justice to that City of Heroes character creator because it looks great. See, that's one of the things that I, I hated about DC Universe Online was how they handled the, the costumes. Because, yeah, the costumes look 
spectacular. And you do get some things that you can use through questing and things like that, or as drops in dungeons. But they took a page from Blizzard, and instead they made a lot of the costumes uh, a to something you can buy with a token-based currency. So it literally just became a grind. So it wasn't doing a, a quest or whatever, the completion of which you remember that costume that you got for it and it means something no you grind the same instance or whatever for a few weeks a few months whatever until you have enough tokens to just buy whatever costume you want and i just found that while it's a system that some would think works better in in wow and and i would agree to to some degree i would agree because there's certain elements of it that that just work far better in wow because the costume is just about a, a, a look there. It's nowhere near as important, like you said, as in a superhero game. Oh, it's part and parcel with your identity as a superhero. So it yeah. has to be on point. And I just, that's one of the things that I hate it. So the way you're talking about it, yeah, it's much, much better. I mean, and here's hoping. We still don't know a whole lot of it. City, yeah. City of Titans is, is definitely further back in development as far as like actual gameplay goes so far uh, compared to some of the other ones that are out there. Um, so we'll see how well they do. I'm okay if they take their time and do it right. Um, and I would love to see them, you know, you complete story arcs or episodes, uh, or issues if they go with the comic terminology, which would be fantastic. And you got unlocks based off of that or achievements or, or things. I think that would be fun and fine. It would also be a really great way to encourage players to spend time in your game without making it feel like a grind something that Wildstar was very good at uh, and WoW still has a problem. Yeah, like you can have the, the greatest customization and costuming system in the history of video games, but if nobody actually wants to play it to unlock it, then it doesn't really matter. So yeah, they obviously focus on the cosmetics, but do, do, do the game itself right. So yeah, I take your time. As you're doing the mission structure, you still have artists cranking out great designs. Man, I just remember in WoW spending hours and hours and hours on transmogging and trying to find the perfect outfit. I don't think I would get past character creation based on making your own superhero costume. Like, I would spend way too much time trying to figure out, like, how can I get this to make this this analog in this universe? So I'll, I'll share a real quick funny story about City of Heroes and my, my buddy Dean, um, who was sort of my mentor when I was a teenager. Took me under his wing, kind of showed me the ropes of life. Real good guy. Was super into City of Heroes, probably more than I was. There was an option later on in City of Heroes life, uh, especially when it went free-to-play, that you could buy more character slots. But it wasn't just like you spent $10 and you got one. It was you spent $10 and you got like 15 or 20 uh, They really let you just go hog wild. I We were supposed to hang out one Saturday, and he was late coming to pick me up. Uh, so we could go hang out by a good couple hours and he wasn't answering his phone. Turns out he had purchased one of those character expansion pack, like packs for the character slots and had lost himself in seven hours creating various characters from the night into the day uh, because the character creation was just that much of a hold on him. So I could totally see Marty just buying the game and just doing nothing but that. And I would support you in that endeavor, Marty. I really would. Yeah, um, just trying to think of like, how would I, how, what would happen? I would not shave. I'd lose my job, which right now would be 
a great thing. <laughs> like, I'll figure out how to pay for stuff, but like, not having this shit job would be amazing. Oh man, uh, I can't. Get you know, paid this goes live, right? Times. You get that, right? <laughs> Listen, just I got I got the perfect solution for you, Marty. You buy the game, right? You buy the with game me so far, okay? You start a streaming channel of nothing but character creation and Marty's slow descent into insanity, and you just make it a twenty-four hour stream. You'll make partner within like a couple hours. You get all that sweet sub revenue and bits. You can support yourself and your descent in madness at the same time while I playing the game. Still don't know what bits are. <laughs> Listen, uh, it I, I, a penny. Don't even try to. T- <laughs> I know there is at least one person on the internet that will watch a twenty-four-seven character creation stream. So Allie <laughs> would have a lot of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go, Marty. That's, That's one. That's one penny. Oh, Papa needs to buy a new bag of dog food. All right, everybody, let's see what I find in my beard today. Because that's what one side is going to have to be, right? Like me. That's uh, so gross. Ugh. <laughs> okay, let's fucking move on. <laughs> Jesus. Man, we, we've been dark this episode. <laughs> All right, Marty, you wanted to talk about some Destiny stuff last week and didn't get a chance to, so go ahead. So there are two big things to talk about. The first, which... Um, actually, there's three, but I see Vince's got that one. But the first is the revelation, revelation of a new exotic weapon called Whispers of the Worm. It is a weekend-only uh, event that every, I think every weekend when Zer pops up on the planet Io, there is an anomaly that appears where you can run in, uh, kill some bad guys, and uh, get tormented by Zol. Uh, and get a an exotic sniper rifle that is a reskin and a redo of one of the best guns from Destiny One. Uh, the lore in the on this gun is pretty horrific uh, in a great way. It's basically you're getting uh, part of Zol is now in your gun and you're eating it every time you kill somebody, which is totally hive and creepy. But I need this gun. The fact that it was. Uh, discovered like on Reddit and I was watching on Reddit um, as people were like, I just found this new thing. I don't know what's going on. And people are trying to find out like how to get in there. I like jumped in, started playing, managed to do like the first 20, it's, you have a time limit of 20 minutes to do all the tasks once you're inside. Uh, and my buddies and I, we managed to get inside, but not unlock one aspect of it, but it was, a return to form in the sense that this is a puzzle that has some great lore on it. There's no, the, the, the pay for stuff part comes later, which of course there is because we can't have anything nice. Um, but basically it's this wonderful new puzzle that is fairly difficult to do. And then unlocks a way for you to help other people as they want to get their own gun. The not-so-great part of Whispers of the Worm is that once you do get it, you can pay to unlock other skins, which, fine. I, I kind of wish they would just give you at least something else for free, but I guess we can't, again, have anything nice. But that's Whispers of the Worm. Uh, like, it was for about, I don't know, a good couple of days last week, it was people who have been throwing nothing but salt on Destiny being like, oh my god, the game is good again! For a whole, like, three days, which is like an eternity in this new cycle. That's actually really impressive. Three days. Yeah, I know, right? The Destiny is Good Again ends on Wednesday. It lasted until yeah. Friday this time. I know, right? Um, 
And also, starting this week, by the time this episode drops, uh, we will begin the event called the Solstice of Heroes. It is uh, the year law. It'll be, a, I don't know how long it's going to be, but a celebration. It's like a month. It ends really? in the end of August, I think, like right before Forsaken comes out. That's, this is the uh, event that uh, basically Destiny 2 starts out. You're, like The reason why you're in ceremonial armor and you only have a crappy gun is because you were doing an errand because the, the tower and the city were going to celebrate the Guardians for winning. And uh, then Gaul shows up and kills everybody. Or two weeks to retirement. God. Exactly right. <laughs> like if Donald Glover was a uh, as a guardian, this is exactly what have been said. But this is where you're going to be able to replay missions uh, with new twists and turns on all these, all the all the, you know the original campaign at a higher difficulty. It will unlock different forms of armor. Uh, there's also a thing which we don't have a lot of information on, but they're uh, elemental boons uh, throughout the missions and raids and, and strikes. Little orbs of elemental power are going to drop and you can pick them up to do extra damage or defend better. It's still not clear exactly what they're. It's uh, a bit of a mystery, which, again, I'm kind of happy for. Um, but you can go to the... Uh, there's a new statue of heroes, which is a representation of the three main classes in Destiny. So Warlock, Titan, and Hunter. And you'll be able to turn this broken, busted armor into some really badass-looking armor. Uh, the power cap is going to be boosted to 400. And uh, it seems like uh, this redo of all of these missions is going to be fun. The last thing is the return of Moments of Triumph. So you can track your accomplishments, but that, yeah. So that is uh, the Solstice of Heroes event, which will be going on, capping off with the return of Moments of Triumph, a new ship, new uh, redo the missions for properly this time, and a way to collect cool armor and some other little things thrown in for good measure. See, like when I first saw the Solstice of Heroes stuff, I was like, that could be interesting, especially because many of those story missions were legitimately great, and going back to replay them again would be a nice reminder of the things that Destiny 2 did well. And then I was looking at, like, the actual requirements to to get the armor, and I was like, oh, no, it's just no shitty grind. No, thank you. Because, like, some of them are ridiculous. Like, to get the, the low-level armor, it's not that bad. Just, you know, do some missions, but, like, stuff like... For you know, because you upgrade through different quality tiers, so to go from like your yeah. initial shitty armor to like blue quality armor, it's you know not that bad. Complete control patrols, public events, but like collect a certain number of light orbs of each element. I'm like that's just that doesn't sound fun to me. Or like getting a certain number of super kills in the Crucible, knowing like in all my time playing the Crucible, like granted I didn't play a lot of Crucible. I was lucky if I got like one super kill every three matches, just the way that a, the energy regeneration system works, which I think they rebalanced, but I don't want to say they did or just be the fact that, you know, as a Sentinel Titan, my super isn't very good for killing things. (laughs) So yeah. uh, And then it just gets like, it, it keeps ramping up from tier to tier, which I mean, of course you want the people with the best armor to like, you know, okay, complete the raid, like stuff like that. I understand, but it's just some of these are, oh, <laughs> like it completely killed 
my entire motivation to even look at it and think about it. Yeah, I didn't I, that 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 grind doesn't bother me because like I'm so addicted and I've done most of that stuff anyway, so it's like not gonna right, be a problem. The raid stuff is gonna be more difficult. Not really currently playing and was interested in the event as maybe a way to poke my head back in and see what's changed since the last time I played. It's it's not a motivating factor. Like it's a great thing for the people who are still playing and do want to get that cool stuff, but and again, at least for me, it's not a get back into the game and maybe try to build hype for an expansion that I don't want to buy. I I would hope that this is a good uh, tier or trick to help people uh, who are returning to the game and their clan's friends haven't left. But I don't know. Like, that's what I would hope. But I, I know nothing about these things because, you know. All right, let's move on to the grimoire. All right. Initially, I'm going to try and keep this very positive because this is a legitimately cool thing for fans of Destin. Uh, through their partnership with Activision Blizzard, De uh, Bungie is following in the footsteps of what Blizzard themselves did with the World of Warcraft Chronicles, which were essentially just big fancy lore books with you know nice artwork and stuff with the Destiny Grimoire Anthology. Uh, we're getting Volume 1 coming out uh, later this fall, subtitled The Dark Mirror. And it's essentially just reproductions of the awesome grimoire stuff from, well, the first Destiny, because the awesome grimoire stuff doesn't exist in Destiny 2, uh, with great artwork and stuff. Like, the 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 preview they show is, um, I'm guessing it's Oryx uh, facing down one of the godworms, uh, you know, with the, on the other page is the... Uh, the hell is the the stuff the the book of book of sorrows so really nice you know looks high quality book if we if we can expect it to be just like the the warcraft chronicles were so for people who are into the lore and want a nice looking collectible this is legitimately a pretty great item it just it just shows that they know people really like the grimoire and can only maybe do something about it when there's a way to monetize it. That's just how it feels to me. I yeah, wouldn't disagree I with disagree. you. It, it, it's if it very... was also in the game in a presentable manner and they decided to also do this book, that'd be great. You get an emblem if you buy the book. <laughs> <sighs> I, I, I'm just so torn on it because it is legitimately a cool thing. But it, it just... It exemplifies priorities for for the game and it's it's not making me happy well it's worrisome if it's you would want something like this to be successful clearly but it's worrisome if it is because then that's a yeah. business model now instead of putting it in the game sell it externally mm -hmm. all right joe you said you had something to add to this i did uh, kind of. It's not. A, it, it is and isn't Destiny related because I think this is hilarious because it's the closest I'm going to get to Destiny anytime soon because I still don't like what they're doing any of it. Um, so I've been playing a whole lot of Enter the Gungeon lately. Um, <laughs> they put the Iron Gallahorn in there as a weapon that you can get <laughs> in the Gungeon, and it is fucking amazing. It's called the Exotic, but it is an exact 2D. 2.5 D replica uh, of the Iron Gallahorn. So, and do you have to use it during certain encounters? No, you don't. But it is very beneficial for certain boss fights. 
very beneficial. That's funny. Just just like in Destiny. Just like in Gally Destiny. Get out. Hell yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because I got it. I got it in my run last night, and I was just like, "Wait, is this? Is this? Oh, okay." That was like a crazy huge update. Like, as somebody who doesn't play the game, like, yes, advanced, I, advanced, uh, advanced gungeons and drag guns. <laughs> so, like, how how much like has the the core game actually changed? The game like, has completely changed. Okay, because like so, I know like they added in weapons and and like more randomness and stuff, but like it so, didn't actually expand beyond oh, like the initial scope, right? Oh, it did. Okay. Um. I guess I'll talk about that because it is actually something that is newsworthy. Um, if you guys are done with Destiny and I can transition into that, I don't want to take any time away from Destiny. Oh, oh please do. <laughs> 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 okay, so Adv Advanced Gungeons and Dragons was a massive update. Um, not only did it add an entire new floor, okay. uh, all, all the floor generations have changed. There are mini-bosses now. Uh, to that that exists randomly throughout the world um, all of the new weapons they've added a synergy system now to the game where certain passive items and weapons will integrate with each other for new effects um, like there is this one gun uh, i believe it's called it's not the void marshal it's the other one uh alien sidearm and it interacts with another alien weapon or another alien item that makes it more powerful um or uh you can get a silver bullet which is for hunting werewolves, uh, quote unquote. Uh, and there's a gun in the game called lowercase r. Lowercase r shoots words at people, and it vocalizes the <laughs> words as you shoot. So it says things like, when you when you don't have any upgrades to it, it says bullet, and it's just a bullet, bullet every time you fire. <laughs> when you have the silver, the silver bullet, it upgrades it to saying things like die werewolf die heathen like it just goes on like this it, like it changes the entire vocabulary there's another thing called um angry bullets that if you have that weapon it then synergizes to make it say really mean things to the enemies you are shooting at like dork weirdo loser like it it and they vocalize the entire thing it is hysterical and it was a free update too that's the yeah. thing that about the you didn't have to buy a dlc none of that shit um, they added a brand new, uh, brand new actual boss encounter uh, with the, uh, what the what the hell is he called? Um, resourceful rat. Um, it is a complete mystery on how to get to him. You have to find little things. Uh, the thing with him is, since the game started, like when it was released, if you dropped something on the ground that wasn't a heart, the rat would come and take it from you, so you couldn't cheese the system. And so everybody's like, I want to kill the dad goddamn rat. And it was this sort of urban legend that you could. Well, they finally made it so that it was this whole boss encounter and they leave you little clues how to get there uh, throughout the game now. And when you get there, it is a multi-stage boss fight that spans genres. So the first one is like a typical, the first fight is a typical like, you know, oh, it's a gungeon fight and you're, you're used to what's going on. Then it changes to a Metal Gear Solid fight. <laughs> Uh, versus a Metal Gear. Uh, and then it changes to fucking Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Because what? reasons. And the better you do on it, the more items you get. Uh, and it's just really, really cool. It, it, it's, it has reinvigorated my love of the game. Um, and if you like twin-stick shooters at all, 
if you like sort of that humor and that humor is definitely there like they have a bullet that shoots guns because why the hell not uh it's worth picking up it, it and the update just makes it increases the value so hard all right because i i saw that they definitely added a bunch of new stuff i just wasn't sure like if it was just more or like like you said actually like building on top of what came before that's cool that's cool Okay, we got a couple of minutes. Vince, what else are you playing you might want to talk about? I'm back on my bullshit. You'll have to narrow that down. <laughs> I've put like another 20 hours into Monster Hunter this week. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> they had they had the big uh, summer festival uh, over the last few weeks, which like, it was a fun little festival that they did, but as part of the festival, they brought back every previous event that had been in the in the game. Like all the limited time stuff. So I was able to go back and like do a lot of the stuff I missed, like getting my Mega Man uh, skin for the Palico and the Dante armor and stuff like that. Uh, doing the summer event stuff because like they have this little diver outfit, which if you just take off the stupid helmet, it looks like a superhero outfit, which is pretty fun. Like it's a like a transmog gear. So like you can still wear actual good gear underneath it. And then just like a cool pair of sunglasses. So I walk around looking like a badass, but. And then I'm like, uh, I can, you know, I'm almost at like a nice uh, level break point to like reach the the highest tier stuff in the game. And, oh, let me just farm for this piece of armor. And uh, it's all because Behemoth is coming. And I really want to do that Behemoth stuff because we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Marty, what about you? Uh, so the bullshit that I was back on this week was this weekend where I had zero responsibility for the first time in a month. I ended up playing too much Stellaris. However, we, we noticed. <laughs> you noticed? Oh, yeah. I noticed. I also, I also did go through my Steam queue to see if there's any games that I should be looking into. Uh, and I am getting closer to pulling the trigger on Hollow Knight. I haven't played a good Metroidvania in a long time, and I might just wait for it to show up on the, I think it's on the Xbox, and I just uh, played that uh, on my Xbox. I don't know if I'd call Hollow Knight of Metroid. It, it definitely takes some inspiration from that, but it it is definitely a Metroidvania. Okay, like it's especially with the game, especially with the stuff that they added with the DLCs. Like I, I shouldn't even say the DLCs, the updates. Um, it Hollow Knight really is fully a Metroidvania. Because yeah, I, I I mean it has a lot of the Metroidvania elements of like the the map exploring and this and that, but also kind of filtered through that dark souls-ish lens so you know i i was i was one of those people that i really started saying like souls like souls like souls like i take that back like after playing several i don't even know how many hours i have in it between both systems um i i i take it back i don't feel that it okay. is soulsian as much as it is a metroidvania because it's got like you said the exploration um, it's got the ability that you can't progress without having certain abilities that you have to find and hunt mm -hmm. for. Um, there's tons of little hidden secrets. There's multiple endings. Um, it, it, it has that feel to it where like hundred percenting that game feels just like to me, hundred percenting super Metroid back in the day. I'd okay, be happy but... with one fucking ending if I could get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because most of my my experience with the game is obviously not being played, but from watching it like AGDQ. And the game looks awesome. I just haven't picked it up because it's it so frequently compared with the Souls franchise. And like, 
you know, the amount of time I have, like I would like, you know, a nice Metroidvania exploration game, but you know, do I really want to spend too so much time learning the boss fights and dealing with that associated stuff? So that's good to hear. Have any of you uh, jumped back into the council since the episodes were added? Because there's both a, th a second and a third that were added. I played episode two, and I know I was slated to talk about it, but I think we missed an episode or whatever. Yeah. Uh, episode three came out last week, but I actually haven't played it yet because I've been hunting monsters. <laughs> I figure maybe next week, maybe we'll we'll tackle the uh, the council. I've been working on these. What the oh. fucking hell? Mute yourself, Marty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I've been playing the the second one. I haven't finished it, and this is this will come up during the conversation, no doubt. Because I don't have a whole lot positive to say. Oh about man, I'm game. having a hell of a time getting through it. it. It's to the point where I'm like, oh for fuck's sakes, just just be done. Like the the puzzle with that goddamn Bible thing was so annoying that I just oh yeah I did not want to I it got to the point where I just looked it up on YouTube how the fuck do I get it oh no I, I persevered but it wasn't fun no the the thing is and this is not to insult anybody who believes these things or who is very religious or whatnot but if you are not Christian or anything like that um that stuff kind of <laughs> like nails on a blackboard after a while and initially with the game i thought hey the religious elements that's fine there was presumably other things as well and and it fit with, with the time period and the, the location so i thought okay that'll be fine but that was just so far beyond the line of having to listen constantly to him reading out all of these different passages and you're going okay that's that's like more than enough i f fuck this like <laughs> hey the only enjoyable parts of episode two was near the end. Like the, the final puzzle I actually enjoyed because it was more relevant to my personal interests. And right. then it ended. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's just getting good. And we're at the end. Great. Yeah. So we'll go into it more either next week or the week after and cover both the second and the third one. So that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at For the Lore. You can also find us on Twitter and iTunes. And you can find us on... Stitcher even. Uh, on Twitter, Joe is loaders at Javens and Simodian, and uh, Marty is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.